Welcome to the Weekly Patch, the podcast designed to help make the games industry better one patch at a time. This is the Week 20 Patch, and I'll be your host this week, Siger. With me, Fighting Games Best Looking Dev, Jordan. Yeah, best looking? Best? I'd say like top five, probably. I mean, show me who's better. And I'd probably rather, I'd rather identify as a, a Sonic fan. Sonic fan. Sonic fan. Okay, I'll be sure to note that for the next time I'm hosting. I'm spinning my Sonic fidget spinner as we spin. And then with us is the queen of Halloween, Spencer. Hi, you should play Mario Golf and watch Fear Street Part 1, 1994. You should just watch it. Trust me. It's on Netflix. You've got it. Sit down. Watch it. It's good. Good to know. Good to know. I'll keep in note of that as well. So the historic heat wave has come and gone, so we're back and better than ever with a lot of news to cover. So we'll dive directly into the Scrum. Private Scrum. We're telling you. The Scrum. PlayStation has realized that its third-party studio, Supermarket Sweep, acquiring Housemark Games, the developers behind Resogun and the recent Returnal, as well as Dutch PC porting studio Nexus Software, which has the track record of releasing PC ports of Western Square Enix titles such as Tomb Raiders, Avengers, Hitman, and more. And oops, they definitely are not acquiring Bluepoint Games, as uh, PlayStation Japan welcomed Housemark into the fold by posting an image welcoming Bluepoint Games who is the developers for Shadows of the Colossus and Demon Souls, as well as other ports. They did it. Oopsie. They're definitely buying Bluepoint games, right? Yeah. yeah they are absolutely buying Bluepoint games. It's, I'm surprised they didn't announce it. So the way that the timeline events happened, they announced Housemark at the beginning of the week. That's when they also may have announced Bluepoint. But instead of announcing Bluepoint, they just announced that they bought Nexus software so as of recording, they have not officially confirmed that they bought Bluepoint, but they're absolutely buying Bluepoint. Yeah, Bluepoint or at least been. at least in the talks, like, and they feel like that talk is almost done, so they made it a graphic, but it's probably been purchased already. Right? Yeah, there's a lot of back end stuff with that. I'm sure within the probably before this episode comes out, uh, Bluepoint will be announced as a studio acquired by Sony. Well, we've talked about it, so it'll probably be in some weird monkey paw way that they've like yeah. entered some like deal with them, not fully acquired or whatever. Nah, nah. I I believe <laughs> by next recording, Blue Point will be have will will have been purchased. But while we're on the train of Sony news, we can talk about how people are, or how Sony has stopped giving a fuck about indies, as multiple indie developers went to Twitter to express frustration with working with. Platform X, which we can confirm now is PlayStation. Some developers expressed their frustrations anonymously as well to various news websites, echoing the sentiment that working with PlayStation is harder than any other first party. Those other first parties being Xbox and Nintendo. I can talk a lot about this, especially since one of the people that spoke on this was the owner of my publisher, White Thorn Games, Matthew White. So now I feel like, oh, I can talk about this now. I don't know how long this has been going on. I feel like this has been this is a PlayStation 4 specific uh like this is that's where this started and it's continued now you have to do a lot of things to get your game on playstation some things especially as a me that makes you think oh this means i'll get some they'll, they'll give me a push 
they'll do the things, but really it's just arbitrary hoops that you need to go through to get the PlayStation to get your game on them. So for example, you need to make the game for a PlayStation. You need to make sure it works on every single type of PlayStation 4 if it's a PlayStation 4. So launch PS4, not launch PS4, Pro, whatever the things are called. They all have slightly different things. For example, my game we should talk had a bug that only existed on uh, launch PlayStation 4s. The PS4 dev kits couldn't replicate that thing. So it's not, it wasn't a bug that we could ever know about. So we weren't even sure if, that, if we were ever going to come out on PlayStation. We, did, we found out we were, it came out on PlayStation because on our launch day, it was the store. Oh, wow. Um, you have to... Every platform makes you do a specific trailer for their platform. That's, that's like kind of universal. But you do have to write a PlayStation blog post for your launch for your game that they say they're gonna like tweet about and do things for, and then they then they just don't. Then they just don't. Uh, Love that. Make people do really technical PR writing and then just don't use it. Great it. guys. But a biggest thing about it, the worst thing is you don't have normal control of when you can put on sales. Any other platform, you can just kind of put sales and choose whatever's what you want for your sale. How much you want to put your game on for how long? PlayStation, they tell us that their discounts are limited and you can only do it sometimes and sometimes you can't choose the amount. The different information about this is different depending on who you ask to. Everybody has different experiences. It's kind of similar to the kind of open story about how to get a platinum trophy in your game where sometimes Sony will just say no and then you would just say, but come on! And then they'll give it to you. It's a little bit like that but a, little, but a lot worse. You'll find that with my publisher, White Thorn Games, Less than, I think, 3% of the uh, sales are PlayStation, even though PlayStation is the biggest platform by far. Yeah, they have the biggest market share. But places like Xbox, but more importantly, Nintendo, showcase indie, showcase games that aren't the big, big games in general way more. And that's the thing that gives you sales. When you get a lot of wish lists, when you kind of do a lot of work, when you kind of make the round, get awards those show to those platforms that we can showcase your game. We can put you on the front page. We can do whatever it is for that platform. But that means nothing to PlayStation. They just kind of choose based off what they want. I think that it's interesting with Nintendo that the thing that people complain about with the Nintendo uh, Switch, like eShop, is actually probably pretty helpful. Average people don't like that it just dumps all the games in there as they come out. If you're looking for like the big Mario game, sometimes you have to scroll through like 10 to 15 indie games. But I think that means that people see those indie games. Would I like to be able to look through it quickly? Do I wish their search worked a little bit better? Yeah, but I really do like, I do like that you get to see like all the games like on that platform as they come out. So that you know what's out there. And then I also know that Nintendo doesn't control how devs do the pressing of their games so games can go on sale whenever the developers decide oh i want to put this game on sale nintendo of course will have their special sales for uh, summer or holidays whatnot but for the most part it seems that developers are free to put their games on sale at any point and there's no restriction on as far as i'm aware on that end whereas at least with playstation as or as jordan has already mentioned the process of putting your game on sale is a lot harder. And in some cases, in some cases it's invite only. So they might have like a special like game of the year. sale at the end of the year, and they'll only have a sad amount of invites that they'll send out. And if your game doesn't get an invite, you can't opt in to have your game on sale at any point, which is super frustrating for like independent developers. 
reading through Matthew's thread on, it was super frustrating because like, I think you see a lot of the problems with Sony PR be laid out because like, They seem to just not have a system of hierarchy of you can talk to this person who can talk to this person who can talk to this person. And it feels like with everything else, they haven't updated how they do any of their businesses. He's saying they aren't getting marketing or CMP tools. How do you like if you don't have data to see the customers that are buying your games, how can you effectively as an indie company manage to market to the people that you need to market to or find out where people are coming from. And the fact that Apple gets bagged on a lot because they wall off the consumer from the from the developers of like apps and things, but this is feels just as bad. At least like they're getting a little bit of analytical data about their apps and stuff from the app store. This is none. <laughs> right. And I know the beginning of this last console generation sony used to be super for indies they would get indies on their platforms resogun was an indie game that was on ps4 at launch and it sold a lot and like oh at the start of the generation everyone thought playstation was the home of indies and as the generation went on we are seeing the huge shift where now switch is the top indie platform maybe behind pc on certain games and xbox is the third option since they have they have similar structure to Sony in like the backend stuff, but Xbox also has like ID at Xbox and other indie programs that games can go through. And I don't know how Xbox handles sales or if, how often you can put a game on sale, but from we have control what, of it. Yeah. From what it sounds like it's easier to deal with Xbox and Nintendo than it is with Sony. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what Sony's play is with the it's limited, we're not like gonna put games on sale mentality especially when there's so many we know there's dual households of switch and mm-hmm. playstation yeah you're gonna lose a couple cents on your 30 percent if you put something on sale but like you're gonna lose the entire sale to a household probably that has two consoles who's like i'll just play this on switch i can take it with me and it's on sale i don't understand even the capital business person idea behind it yeah, i don't get it it feels like they just care about the big games, but they're legitimately losing money by not caring about the smaller ones. So it's not even like that's a businessy decision that's like good. And it's the thing that's got me worried the most about Sony right now is that they are so concerned about their tentpole titles that while those tentpole titles are good, the second we start to see cracks in that, it's going to be like a house of cards falling down, right? You can't, you have to like plan for something to not be as popular or something to be you have to start managing that like relationship with your community before a mediocre or bad game happens right so that it isn't just a catastrophic event yeah speaking of catastrophic events though it turns out konami is totally willing to license the silent hell ip to blooper team blooper team has recently worked on such games as blair witch and the medium both of which are subpar horror experiences, to say the least. And the medium is just gratuitous. It's like what you would expect when people say, like, torture porn. It's like that kind of experience if it had none of the messaging and politicalness of the game, of the movies or of the works of horror that get put with that. It's just gratuitous. I love horror, and I was even like, this is just too much. If you're going to do horror about sensitive topics, you A, should do good trigger warnings, which they didn't. They would rather not spoil their game 
over doing a good trigger warning. And that's just not cool. And then you also should, you really have to be careful and surgically precise, or you're going to come off as gross and unfeeling towards the subject matters you're trying to cover. Hopefully this takes all that steam off of Blue Box Studios so they can just make the game that they want to make as opposed to everybody. Oh my God, right? (laughs) For sure. That guy looks, the video that he put out, he looks so defeated. I felt so bad for him. He's just like, guys, we just want to make this game. Please like it. It's not what you think it is, but we're trying to make the best game we can. It's not Silent Hill, we swear. So uh, continuing on with the devs that totally know what gamers want, Train, Remedy is making a multiplayer control spinoff game. They also confirmed that they'll be working on another control game, so there's that. And Remedy is also working on an Alan Rake remaster with Epic and a campaign for Crossfire X. So I'm personally a little worried they're stretching themselves a bit too much. But yeah, control multiplayer spinoff game. I wonder how how far along all these like the the, the control sequels like it's not even at the prototype stage probably they're probably just probably not. making like dev documents and design documents and stuff. I'm excited for the control multiplayer thing because um from a design perspective, a studio that hasn't made a multiplayer experience in 25 years trying to make one now sounds interesting to me. It means theoretically they can just copy what's being done, or they can bring something new to that formula that might be excited. I haven't played Control yet, and I really want to, and it's probably one of the games I'll play this summer when things cool down a little bit. But I am a little bit worried about a Control sequel because the lead narrative designer is off doing Fable now. Right? Oh, I didn't know that. She's gone. She's like, I'm out of here. She's yeah. off. Go- they think it was like last year sometime. She, they announced that she's, she announced that she's going over to work on Fable, which I'm excited for her I'm to be working excited. on Fable. I love but Fable. like it makes me a little bit worried that when you lose someone who's that high up on the food chain, it's going to be inherently different just because like that person's fingerprints aren't there. Right. And like when I, I also have not played Control, it is a game I want to go play. It's on a Game Pass, so I definitely will at some point. But it's a game whenever I say it, it's like, oh, it's a single player uh, action game. And I don't know how they're going to turn that into a multiplayer experience without like limiting what players can do. But yeah, this is a story that we will definitely come back to once we know more about this multiplayer spinoff. <laughs> Moving on, though, everyone thinks they're Kojima because now Game of the Year editions are being called director's cuts. Sony has announced that there will be a Ghost of Tsushima director's cut, and we can probably expect more director cuts for games as the generation continues. How what? do you recut a video game? What is like? What, what how are do you about? like? How do you recut a video game? You're not going to go in and reanimate takes of actors for mocap and make them like new. You're not doing that. So like, how are you recutting a video game? I don't get it. It drives me nuts because director's cut, even in film, is used in a very like precise way. You think of like Blade Runner. Blade Runner is the one that there's the extended cut, there's this other cut, and then there's the director's cut, right? I just don't understand how, like, just call it a game of the year. That's what it is. Just give me new stuff, pay people, call it an expansion, and call it a game of the year. Like, (laughs) you have terms for this. Why are we we taking filter? It's very clear that the games industry just has film envy, and they don't like hearing it when it's said. But this is just a clear example of that. We don't call anything. We 
a director's build would be a still a thing that's stupid, but it would make it would be better than calling it a cut. And it's kind of semantics, but it's like it's and it's it's representing a larger problem. Who is even the director of Ghost of Tsushima? I get it with Kojima because Kojima thinks he's a film director that he's like making these like films that he's putting gameplay into. I give a little bit more like wiggle room to the Kojima one because like that fits with like how he's presented himself for years. But I don't even know who the director is of Ghost of Tsushima. Like, great, you guys made a Kurosawa game, basically. But that doesn't make you a director that gets a director's cut. I predict we're going to see The Last of Us Part 2 director's cut for PS5. I'm sure there there will be a Horizon director's cut. Right now, it's only been the two director's cuts, Death Stranding and Ghost of Tsushima. But it feels like it's going to become more of a thing as this generation goes on. But time for some good news before the absolutely horrifying QA. Microsoft will let all app devs keep all the money for the things they make unless the things are games. So, for example, uh, platform or software apps like Hulu or Netflix that make money off subscriptions no longer have to pay whatever the percentage cut is to Microsoft, as well as other apps, not just like streaming services, but like anything that isn't a game. Or devs are probably willing to make applications for Windows software. They need that. That's a big problem for Windows in general. (laughs) That's really weird for me because of how much the tech industry and app world has taken from games now. Like they gamify everything. So like until there is a line where some things are, is this a game? And, you know, if you ask me, everything is a game. I'm not the best best person to ask. But like, where, where, where is that line? Like, is it where you place yourself on the on the on the app store in the marketplace? If you make an app that's pretty game-like, but put in the app place, will will it slide? I, I'm I'm wondering about the the line for that. I also think yeah. it's pretty important to remember that Microsoft did come out and say games on the Microsoft Store will be getting a cut of revenue from thirty percent to twelve percent starting next month on the first on August in August. Right. On so at least on PC platforms, not on Xbox. So this really like, just feels like everybody trying to box Tim Cook in a corner. <laughs> like that's. <laughs> And good, like. Moving on, though. Kotaku has a new EIC, Editor-in-Chief, Patricia, Patricia Hernandez, and she stole her whole bit. A lawsuit has been filed, but you can view her post explaining the changes she hopes to bring to both Kotaku and the industry as a whole in the show notes. What do you guys think about her post on Kotaku? It, it's lovely. She went She went just as far with, without saying she wants to patch the industry. <laughs> but... Everything that she's saying is the things that we stand for. So I'm all for it because for a while, Kotaku had bad leadership. And then they had a large exodus. And now it seems like this is like Patricia's trying to pick up the pieces and make it to something good. I really think that Patricia's like focus on people who don't read video game sites is like really important. There's just a giant swath of people who never like give a crap about the news because it isn't presented in a way that is like friendly to people who aren't into the ecosystem of video games as a whole. So like seeing those changes, I think will be for the better for everybody because like, I think a lot of times video game journalism quote marks 
is a lot of navel gazing because they just like are so insular. All of their friends are in it. So all of their friends play video games and they don't really have a like connection to people who like maybe only play one or two games a year or maybe have thought about playing a video game but are overwhelmed. And lastly, student athletes are now allowed to benefit from the fruits of their labor. And so you, people can start buying NCAA games again. A recent announcement where uh, student athletes will be able to make money off their likeness, appearance, and names in games and other medias has went through. So now those student athletes can make money off themselves before they couldn't. Yeah, you don't, you don't get NCAA games often anymore. Rather, they, they're not like yearly like they used to be in for yearly like, you know, your Maddens or your TKs. But like they still come out and they're like millions and millions and millions of dollars are made off of children and their ability to play a game. And for a long time, the NCAA, a terrible organization that sucks. Fuck them. Just take this. Got all that money. Got all that licensing money. Put millions of dollars into their coaches and gave students tuition, which they could have gotten anyway. So now hopefully that means that when we see these like college players and games, they're getting paid for that. But it also rises, raises the part of like the problem with esports, which is this is going to be adjacent to where like when people get money for work as like a teenager, early twenties, and they need representation. You know, it's opening up another can of worms for things to be corrupt for them. But uh, I, I thought this was important for here because game, the games industry makes a lot of money off of these student athletes, and now they can they can have a, hopefully have a second. Yeah, I agree. I would like to see the NCAA institute something now that they're going to allow this to happen. I think it's the, what is the development league for the NBA? Is oh. it the D league? I think it might just yeah, be the D league. Oh, right. They require like financial responsibility courses, part of the like development league so that they're not like just giving teenagers tens of thousands of dollars. I would like to see the NCAA require that of at least like what is it division one that's usually where all the people come from like at least division one sports should have some kind of like you have to like this is requirements like there's all kinds of requirements you have to do to be an ncaa athlete so just make you've got to take classes about financial responsibility and like how finances work and how not to like blow through all your money (laughs) and that will do it for the scrum this week Next, we'll be moving on to the quality assurance. It's time for the quality assurance. This week's QA will be taking a look at the recent press event for Sniper Ghost Warrior Contracts 2 and why it was awful. In an article posted on thegamer.com, Eric Switzer writes, Sniper Ghost Warrior press event made me pretend to kill Arabs and I hated it as the title for the article that he wrote on The Gamer. This was an interesting... Interesting is a weird word to use. This was a course of events that happened. First, uh, Sniper Ghost Warrior Contracts 2 is a stupid name. Bad name for a game. It's very gamey. It's dumb. But when when Eric Switzer wrote this article, he made a point to note two things. This was after... There's a press event after the game launched already. So this wasn't like a pre-release press release. They did no talking about or playing the game at the actual event. And there's this very telling picture on the article of the ambience of that event that says Trump 2024, the revenge tour. Yeah, that, that was on a flag, right? That they had outside the the main building base. for the event. Yeah. The whole 
like reading through the article, I am shocked that this was allowed to happen. First off, the developers for the game weren't even at the event uh, because of restrictions of COVID. They actually couldn't make it out. So it was just the press showing up to this army base and like going through the event without the developers, as Jordan mentioned, not even talking about the game. At no point does Eric or anyone there like have a conversation about what the game was like. I just, have, have... I just had the realization that this event is half of the plot of Metal Gear Solid 2, where the, you're going through a simulated experience where you're killing a specific group of people and kind of discriminating against them, and the press is the main character right in thinking, this is horrible. Why are we doing this? Why is this even here? And this is representative of the type of press events that happened during that era when that game came work you'll get a random box and it'll have like a finger in it. That's that's a USB cord that you plug in and then it's a horror game. That's whatever horror game they're reviewing. That, that's like, this is the type of uh, press event that would have happened back in the day. Even though those press events don't happen now, this is even worse than any of those could be because it's it's clearly racist. It's just it's flat out racist. Yeah, 100%. At uh, one point they were talking, the sergeant or whoever it was, I was like, leading them through the event was like telling like oh uh, the people that you're going to be targeting they killed a lot of good americans and like they would use specific terminology to like motivate you to like get into the mindset of being a soldier in this situation and it's like everything they're doing is one low-key racist but two like they're amping up media people who aren't soldiers and trying to convince them to kill and like do whatever the activities a soldier does in a situation like this with no hesitation and whatnot. And like all the people who are media who are a part of this obviously have mo or I can't assume they all didn't have any military training, but like I'm assuming most of them didn't have any form of military training. This is all outside of their comfort zone and like being put into like this simulation and being edged or yeah, like edged on to like, kill Muslim people and Arab people is like why I don't understand how anyone thought this was a good idea. I talk I know it's a joke but there is such a thing as like PR ethics and like one of those things is you're trying to present your you're trying to present your client in the best light possible, right? Like Ubisoft cannot be happy that they showed up to a place that had a Trump 2024 revenge tour thing. I don't want to give the PR people the benefit of the doubt because they did a bad job. And you're like, this is that is the job. Researching the facilities you use, researching the vendors you use, that is why you get paid. Because companies and people don't have the time or the skills to do that or know what to ask or know what to look for to do that. That's what you get paid to do. I would love to know the tr chain of events that went from PR company being like, let's do a military simulation to Ubisoft being like, yes, let's do that. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that the article mentions is all the actors who are dressed up in Arab gear and whatnot were all white. And Eric himself was like, I can't decide what's worse. White people dressing up like Arabs to be shot at or subjecting actual Arab people to this experience. Yeah, I don't know what's worse. Both are equally horrifying. And the whole like drill instruction, like tr Eric mentions at the beginning, it's him, five other writers, and a bunch of like YouTube celebrities and influencers and whatnot. So it's only a group of like 
10 to 15 people. And they're given rifles. I'm assuming the ammunition. I don't know if uh, they're like airsoft. They're like airsoft rifles. Yeah, so they're given like airsoft rifles to fire at. And I don't know if I don't remember Eric mentioning it in his article, but I'm just assuming a lot of people haven't had a whole lot of training with guns and whatnot. And shooting at live people, it's like I they had to have like given everyone involved like a heads up, like, oh yeah, we're gonna be putting you through this training exercise, and we're gonna be shooting at people. And if they didn't do that, like I don't know how I would feel if I was a writer for a news outlet and I came here and it's like, okay, you're going to be shooting at these guys. Here's a gun. Obviously airsoft gun. So it's less dangerous. But like, even that is like, oh, I don't feel comfortable shooting people. I didn't sign up for this. I also think there's another line that gets crossed that like, you're not going to get games journalists to admit to, but they should not be going to mixed events. For a long time, tech events were split up into, like, I started doing events in tech, like, when the BlackBerry was a thing. And we would have events that were specifically for the tech press, where the tech press would come in, we'd do their spiel for them. It was definitely more low-key. They would always be invited to the party, the big launch party. Many tech press people wouldn't actually come to that party. But then there was also the event for celebrities or what I would now consider like influencers, like how you cater to someone who's going to talk about this on Twitch versus how you're going to market and PR this to someone whose job is to objectively report the fact should be different. And the fact that you are blurring and clossing that line as a marketer is also a problem. You got to keep everything separate. And like, it's a good thing it was because I don't think any of the Twitch people would have like raised it a stink about this. So like it came back to bite them that they had like actual writers there. Also burn the PR company. Don't tell me random PR company. Like this is a moment, right? Burn the PR company. The common knowledge in PR is, well, you don't want to burn people because one day, some one day you're going to make a mistake and it's going to like blow back on you. But this is absolutely a time where it's like not crossed one line. You've crossed like a hundred lines, burn this PR company for sure. Like don't, you don't have to be cagey about it. Like you may not get to go to their PR events, but why would you want to after this? Like you should be like sending up the flag of like everyone in the games industry. This is the kind of event they put on. This is what they think is acceptable. I, the, also the big thing is because I don't want to get make CI games get off the hook either because like they, they did a thing. We're sorry for people that experienced this. We, we, we weren't, we weren't able to go there. We didn't really see the, but we saw this lunch event, but like they're, this is representative of the gameplay in their game. They're, this is still a part of the larger problem of using Arabs as the evil, the enemy, the group of people that you can just kill without feeling like they're just like a, a number on a screen as opposed to like representative of a large group of people. Because what they said in their apology is Sniper Ghost Warrior Context 2 follows a purely fictional narrative based on a purely fictional setting. But the Brusser event had a very, very real looking world that looks kind of like a world that is depicted in that particular way in games often in all of their games up until this point like they they're not absolved this isn't just a pr company did a thing this is for sure a pr company did a bad thing and the game industry keeps giving the okay and the general entertainment industry let me not just limit it to the, the general entertainment industry gives the okay to kill middle eastern people on screen and in games and in TV all around the board. And this is 
an extension of that that has gone near the end of the article he mentions that at the end of the training exercise there they ended up in like a tower with oh at that point they were start role-playing as snipers and they would be targeting people as a human shooting gallery and he says this is the most dehumanizing part of the entire day but it also seemed like everyone else's favorite based on their reactions after the fact it's like okay so i'm sure the media people probably didn't enjoy this but all the influencers that they invited to this were apparently based on their reactions they enjoyed that part and it's like really messed up and really telling of who they invited to this event as far as i'm aware i don't know if they publicized which influencers or youtubers or whoever were a part of this but i wouldn't be surprised if none of them come forward at after all the news and everything highlighting all of this came out because like it's really fucked up that people were like super into it and they invited those influencers for those reasons because they want to get that good press of the game out but when they also invited the press and the press was like hey all of this is extremely fucked up and now this whole situation blew up the way it did it's like okay not only did they get the bad press but all of the good press they were trying to get by inviting specific influencers over they now lost because i'm assuming none of those people want to come forward thinking like, oh this was a great experience i had a lot of fun shooting people from the top of a sniper tower that were dressed up like arabs or anything like no one wants to be associated with any of this I think the lesson learned from this is stop making military propaganda games. And then we won't experience this ever. Right? That, I mean... 100%. (laughs) The sniper series of games, like, I can understand the appeal of making a game based around snipers, but those games have just gone way too far, and, like, at this point, they're basically parody, because I know in one of... in a majority of them, you can like specifically snipe people's testicles and it does like an x-ray shot, like Mortal Kombat style. Oh, geez. And like in one of the sniper games, I know there's an achievement for sniping Hitler's testicles because it, one of them is based in World War II and you can snipe Hitler's balls and like explode them. It's like, what the fuck are these games? Purely fictional, apparently. Yeah, apparently completely fictional, but like they're even though they won't admit it, they're all based in reality in some way. And they're just hyper fictionalizing everything and making everything jokes and whatnot. And like, it's really messed up that they're still doing this. Like if you want to make a sniper experience video game, you can do that, but you can do it in a way that doesn't dehumanize or villainize a group of people. Like you can have, I, I don't know the answer, but like maybe like ha- something like Halo where you can snipe aliens that aren't anyone. But then that also gets a little murky depending on situations it's, there. But like it's the Dungeons and Dragons problem where you create Dungeons and Dragons is the most influential game of all time and all video games and things ever afterwards come from that. Uh, but part of Dungeons and Dragons is that we created certain races that are bad. And these races. Right, that's what I was thinking. And that exists in games, too. But like. This game, this is a game that only recently got like lore and potentially single player content in the future. But like Overwatch is perfect. That's like everyone's different in Overwatch, and it's a team based game, so that you know like, there, there's some changes there. But everyone looks different. There's no like clear. This is from a group of bad guys. They're they all got their own kind of like motivations and stuff. And that's kind of the worlds that where that works. And when you play, I'm not a Halo person, so I can't tell you, but I know there's a lot of races in that. Mass Effect's a better thing. Mass Effect also military propaganda. So it doesn't have that going for that. 
But there's no like bad guys races in Mass Effect. They make you think there are, and then you go through Mass Effect and you play Morrowind. It's like, oh no, they they kind of have their own thing going on. There's one of them on our team now. Spoilers, kind of. The 20th That's game. yeah, but it's like games old, old game old. <laughs> it you can spoil. We have found ways around that, and we have found that it's not necessary. We don't need to do that, and even or just like point out games. I mean, point out character classes, races, whatever you want to call it, based on that type of game as being the evil one, the bad guy, the enemy. So we we just really have no need for this. Anymore. We never had a need for it, but. It, 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 there's, there's no excuse for it now. Yeah, I, I'm personally not a fan of any of the sniper games, and I'm shocked by like how often they release. I feel like they release a new sniper game like every other year, and I'm sure the studio behind them are talented, but like they could be putting all those resources into like a different type of game that could probably do a lot better because. No one I know talks about Sniper as a franchise. And I feel like they could be doing something that's like not awful. And not like yeah, I don't know why there's so many people who want to chase Call of Duty and Battlefront or Battlefield, right? Like, yeah, there's Battlefield and there's Call of Duty. And like they cover like the majority of play modes and ways that you'd want to do for like military shooters. I don't, I mean like it's probably holdover from the 360 era where like everything felt like it was a military shooter for a long time. There's two very well entrenched properties that still are really bad at this, but like are at least not out there doing actively like racist PR events. So point to them, I guess for not being, overtly racist just casually right. racist in their video games we want names yeah That's i want names yeah. we want names drag them through the dirt yeah I-, I said it before it's like i don't know how anyone thought of this and thought this was a good idea and then let alone do it and i'm still shocked that they had the event even though uh ci games couldn't make it out to the event themselves because of covid restrictions it's like okay if the people who arranged the event for better for, for lack of a better term couldn't make it out to the event themselves i would have canceled the event like 100 percent. the game's already out so like there's no need for this event every contract i've ever done with a big company has always had a corporate walkthrough either 24 hours or 48 hours before an event so that they can see what's going to happen sometimes if it's an interactive event you will stage like people from your company doing what the people are going to do for that like interaction. But I've never seen a company just be like, eh, whatever, do it. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> In I, my I entire w- life. <laughs> I wonder what uh, CI games was thinking when the event was happening and they were on the other side of the world. I was like, Oh, I'm sure they're having a great time right now shooting white people dressed up as Arabs in a fake simulation with airsoft guns, half of which are influencers, half of which are media like the the lack of thought here is disturbing, and even though CIA Games has issued an apology, I don't think the apology was enough. No, because they're still making the game that is that they got the idea to make this event from. Everything about this whole event and the game around the event, not good, not good. 
And I hope that this is like a sort of not wake up call, but like I hope this tells other media outlets or other press event people like, okay, if we're going to do an event around X game, let's not fuck it up this bad. And like learn from the many, many mistakes that were happening at this press event. I would like to see press events like this die for media. Like it's fine for influencers, but it's just not acceptable anymore for games media in the way it exists. It's just not like you shouldn't be like, I was pretty ticked when everybody like this is a non racist version of this is EA took everybody to Disneyland and shut down Oga's cantina so that all the games journalists and influencers could experience galaxy's edge Oga's cantina by themselves after hours be- when uh, Jedi Fallen Order came out. To his credit, he talks about how important games journalists feel this is because they're a decentralized workforce. So this is like one of the only times they get to see other people in their industry. That's going to do psychological things to you about how you feel about a game right. to anyone. That's why people do it. <laughs> That's why VR people do it because they know if they can, if they can invoke even tangential, like good feelings of like, oh, I got to see my friends or I got to do this. Like they will use every psychological advantage against you because that's what PR people do. <laughs> right. Like I, I know PAX East, Square Enix used to have parties for Just Cause and I've been to those parties and those parties are great memories, great times. And it's always like, Whenever I think of Just Cause as a game franchise, I, I I don't play those games. I don't care about those games, but I have a positive outlook on them because of those parties. And it's like, yep. yeah, no, that stuff absolutely does work. I did a little bit of digging. So when, when I look at stories for this podcast, I do not include certain websites on purpose anymore because we've talked about uh, big, PR, big uh, games news outlets and their failings. So I don't look at them anymore. However, right. In doing a little bit more research for this particular story, I found on one of those websites that will not be named because I don't want you going to them. Uh, the PR firm was found, and they are Uber Strategist PR. They are known to have worked with, I mean, Ubisoft, Ubi Massive, specifically, or Massive Work Studio. That might be something else, actually. So I'll take that back. But they, they work with smaller studios, specifically. Uh, I'm looking at things like Chain Awesome Games. Uh, Dotemu, they make 2D side scrolling beat em up now. Humble Bundle, Night Dive, Playmind, studios under by studios that make like what we would consider like double A or triple I games. Okay, this is probably the biggest game that they got to do a press event for. And they botched it. They botched it real hard. Yeah, I mean. I mean, Humble Bundle is probably a bigger client for them. The question is, does Humble Bundle continue to work this relationship with them after this event and after the news around it? Like, I also like, here's the thing. They feel like a PR firm that has like spiraled out into doing other things like publicity and like those kind of things. Like they feel like they're we're like a one stop shop to come in and do that. And that's always that always runs the red flag right up the pole for me because PR is seen as one thing, but it is many things. You have to have like different divisions that are like 
We have people who do this whole division that is nothing but getting you influencers because that is totally different than people who are doing the technical writing of like press releases or other SEO things. Like those are two different, completely different skill sets. Okay. I think that's going to do it for us on the quality assurance. Next, we'll be moving on to the free play. Placeholder. It's a placeholder. Play some games. So for free play this week, I know I have been playing a brand new game, Scarlet Nexus. This is a action JRPG developed by Bandai Namco, led by the Tales of Vesperia director. I forget his name off the top of my head, but it's I can very I can see his style within this game as far as the character design and the menu and the amount of customizations that they have. I have right now, real quick, Scarlet Nexus has two different campaigns you can play through. There is the Yuito campaign, which is the male protagonist, and the Kasane campaign, which is the female protagonist. Yuito plays close combat and has a psychokinesis power, whereas Kasane also has a psychokinesis power, but her combat is further range and looks a lot more fluid, in my opinion. I personally have only been playing the Yuito campaign. I haven't started Kasane yet. I am near the end of the game, so I'm, I, no spoilers, obviously. But Scarlet Nexus might be my favorite game I've played this year. It Ooh. It is... A lot of outlets are giving it, like, eights, nines. No one's calling it a perfect game, and I don't think it is a perfect game either. It does have its flaws, but I'm enjoying everything I have played about this game so far. It plays like a... Not like a Bayonetta or Devil May Cry, but like a smaller version of those games as far as the combat. The combat flows, in my opinion, really well, and it does a great job of making you feel like a badass as you go through and like slashing or using your powers. And as the game progresses, you get allies and you're able to use their powers. One of my female characters, her name is Hanabe. And she has pyrokinesis, so when my character uses it, his sword gets doused in fire, and I'm able to use a bunch of fire attacks, which deal a lot more damage. And there's also various skills that help traverse the map. One of my favorite things about this game is the level design is really well done, where I was talking to Kaylee about this, where I feel like this is the game that Persona 5 uh, Scramble wishes it was in the sense that the game does a great job at focusing on what it does well in the combat. In Persona 5 Scramble, uh, when you go through the combat, there are lots of areas in the game where you go from having the fun combat to stopping what you're doing to figure out a different puzzle, whereas Scott Nexus doesn't have that problem. It's, oh, you do all the fun combat, and all of the, the level designs are pretty linear, so you're able to go from fun combat to either like a cutscene or whatnot, but then you're immediately back into the combat and it knows that it's combat systems and what it allows you to do is fun. So it encourages you, the player, to constantly go through the motions of the levels. And I personally love the story. I know a lot of various outlets and people online are saying the story is what you would expect from like a B-tier anime. So it's not awful, but it's not like the most engaging thing in the world. I love it, though. It's dumb, stupid sci-fi. Everyone, it basically everyone in the world has, like, brain powers. And it's super cool. It's super stylized, super sci-fi. 
it's a lot of just pure fun, in my opinion. And the game does have like various boss fights that remind me of something like Dark Souls or Code Vein, where there are human enemies that are bosses that like you have to figure out the mechanics for. But then uh, the main enemies of the games are called Others, which are like these persona monster looking things that are terrifying. But every now and then you will encounter a boss other and like very much like Dark Souls, you will see the giant health bar on the top. The screen will be an other has appeared and then you see the giant boss monster that you would have to slowly figure out the mechanics of. And obviously the game doesn't tell you straight out like, oh, this is how you beat the boss. So there is a bit of trial and error on that part. Some bosses are easier to defeat than others. The path to defeat them is made obvious to you, but what you have to do requires a lot of various skills and swapping between abilities rapidly between either your abilities or your teammates' abilities. So the boss fights are more challenging than I would have thought this game was based on just the normal combat. But other than that, I'm having a really good time. And again, I'm not going into spoilers. Probably once I finish the game, I can talk about the game again and give more than just the first impression. But from everything I've played so far of Scarlet Nexus, this is definitely the most fun I've had in a single game this year. How long is a single campaign? So they both have 12 chapters. They are called phases. Okay. And each chapter is about an hour long. I know uh, the like first two or three chapters might be a little bit longer because those are the introductory chapters where they have more story and whatnot. But all of the levels are relatively short. Like you can go through the levels in half an hour. And then the other half hour is usually watching the cutscenes or doing like menu organization because you want to equip the best gear or find specific items on the map so you can craft better weapons. The game also has a lot of different customizations. And like Persona, it has relationship building where you can build bonds with your teammates. So you could spend a lot of time just doing that. Like right now, my playtime on Yuito's campaign, I'm on the final chapter and I'm at like, 30 hours of actual playtime. It's like, oh, I could absolutely beat the game in like 12 to 15 hours because again, each phase is about an hour long, but I do spend a lot of time just running around the map, collecting different things. And the game rewards you for building up relationships because then the powers become stronger and you get even more cutscenes. But yeah, so one campaign can take anywhere between 12 to 15 hours to complete. But if you're like me and you do all the side bonus stuff, it could easily take about 30 hours. Nice. Okay. That's what I want out of that. I want to, I want to talk to all my people. I want to, I want to make all these buddies. I started playing Star Nexus and I paid like close to an hour of it. And then, and then my hands decided that they can't hold controllers anymore. So that wasn't a thing that I got to do, but it looked like, it looked like it was a me ass me game. Yeah. Like, if you're a fan of just, like, any JRPG, the, this game is definitely, like, a big win. It's, again, not the most story-driven RPG. Like, I enjoy the story, but it's not, the, like, it's not like Final Fantasy VII, where it's like, oh my god, the story in this is so good or anything. It's like a B-tier. It does have an anime, so if people didn't want to play through the game, you can actually watch the anime on Funimation. And what I learned yesterday is the anime will actually have various codes in every episode. 
And if you enter those codes into the game, you unlock special quests or items. So, the, oh, if you watch hey. the anime, you can unlock things in the game. I didn't know That's that was a thing. So I'm going to start watching the anime. That means I'm going to wait to continue playing that game again until the anime's done. Yeah, I, I think there are only two episodes out for the anime because they're releasing a new episode every week. And I'm surprised that they already started releasing them. Uh, it's being distributed by Funimation. So I don't know how fast all the episodes will come out. But yeah, so if you watch the anime, you can unlock things for the game. So that's super dope. But one aspect of the game that I really do love is because there's two campaigns. It's super interesting playing through one campaign because you will see Yuto's right now I'm playing Yuto's campaign. So I will see Yuto's perspective of things. And there will be times where these two campaigns connect. So I'll be doing uh, Yuto's campaign up to a certain point and then Kasane will appear. And I know what I'm doing there. I know what my motivations are, but I don't know how she got here. I don't know what her motivations are. I don't know what her story is. But I know at this moment in time, we are both here. and We have to do X thing. And then we uh, branch off again. And then we back up later. I learned a bunch of new things. She's learned a bunch of new things, but we don't know what the other one knows. So it's like, oh, this game really wants you to play both campaigns and experience both sides of the story. And they do it in such a good way where it's like, oh, I immediately want to know why she was here doing this or what happened after I did this and she went off on her own quest. And it's so cool seeing the stories like interloop with each other throughout the campaign. So yeah, right now I'm near the end of Yuto. I'm probably going to beat it tonight and I'm going to start Kasane's campaign and figure out what a lot of things I don't know. But the game does a really great job at like making you want to play it again and it rewards you in multiple different ways. You can play however you want and the game will find a way to reward you in some way. I've been playing a lot of VAR games because my hands are really hurt. Like, a lot. I played a lot of video games in my life and I type all day. So now what I probably have is carpal tunnel or something that induces a lot of hand pain. So holding a controller or mouse and keyboard has been really difficult for me for the past couple weeks. However, holding the two Oculus Quest left hand and right hand remotes don't Yeah, I was just about to switch uh, VR set you, you were using. The, the quests are way more ergonomic for me is the Quest 1. And I don't want to talk about all the games that I played because I played 10 of them because it's the Steam Summer Sale, so I just bought a bunch of VR games. Nice. Um, that being said, I didn't want to talk about the experience of playing like any VR game versus the experience playing Half-Life Alex because Half-Life Alex is Half-Life 3. That's that it is straight up Half-Life 3. I don't care what. It's like it's a spin-off game. It is a it is a big budget Half-Life game that came out. And the reason that's important with regards to VR is that a VR game that came out with the money of Valve behind it means that the amount of accessibility options specific to VR are drastically larger than what you normally get. I get a lot of motion sickness, not only from VR, but playing first-person games in general. And there are four different movement-type options that they allow for the game in VR because people have different uh, sensitivities to movement in VR. They're, they have uh, one versus two controller, uh, move, uh, like gameplay and movement. They have a lot of options for performance that are based on like how it would affect someone's sensitivity. I'm seeing way more options than I've ever seen in a game before. And I think it's nice to see, but also unfortunate that it has to come from the biggest people that make games. It's, it's, 
I had the experience of falling in love with VR all over again when I had a game that was made that I could actually play. And that's like very important for people like me who I think are on the middle of the, like most of the VR people that play VR games are like whales and they have a lot of money and it goes to VR and they're big VR people. And I'm in the middle where I like VR, but I can't play a lot of it. And I like the tech and I like the experiential feeling of moving my body to interact with the game. But this is like one of the rare times where I can play a game that has movement, that doesn't have any stationary, that doesn't make me motion sick. And that's, that's been really good. I've been like four hours in, and that sounds like a little, but the amount of playtime you give to a VR game is way, way different than you would give to a console experience. Those things Yeah, absolutely. VR is definitely one of like my favorite techs in video game, and I'm so excited for the tech to continue to develop. We know that Sony's making PSVR 2, and I'm also excited to see what, how Oculus continues to improve their platform and the games that we are seeing on those various platforms. I, I played it completely wireless because Half-Life Alex is a Steam game, but there's an app called Virtual Desktop that lets you log into a desktop that you can run games through. And it was fascinating. It was completely wireless. And there's, a, there's an option for Oculus to put in your USB port to your computer and like run games through that. And this was better than that wired solution, completely oh. wireless. So I, I, it changed. It opened my eyes and changed. It, it opened the world to a large amount of games that I have built to me now. And speaking about opening a giant world, Spencer, you've been playing a brand new game too, haven't you? I have. I've been playing Mario Golf and like not in a way that like I think a lot of reviewers played Mario Golf. I think everybody went and did the adventure. I haven't played any adventure, but I've played probably like seven hours of just golf. So, <laughs> so like before this... This Mario Golf is like Super Mario Golf, right? What's uh, it's Mario Golf Super Dash. Super is Dash, okay. Yeah, I think that's what well, it is. I can look it up. You, you, you've already had a history of Mario Golf games before this game, I correct? do. I love uh, Mario Golf World Tour, which is the DS, 3DS version of... Yeah, Super Rush is this one. World Tour, I played the same way i just played either against people that i knew that had it or just getting really good at each golfer which sounds weird but like each golfer has a different like power that they can do or like and in this one they each all have like special like hits they can do which changes how you play the game but yeah i've just been playing like regular 18 holes of golf or i also like the super rush mode of it which is where like you get timed for it's how fast you can go through the holes but every stroke you take adds 30 seconds to your time so you want to oh. do it in a least amount of strokes and as fast as you can which is oh, just like super, super challenging i'm almost to getting par on all holes with rosalina She's Best character, first. good choice, good yeah, choice. She's, the, she's, she's actually one of the better characters in the game because she's so tall. She has like a power closer to like a Bowser. She's just so big and she floats through the whole like course because she's a space princess. So Yeah, I know like in Mario Kart, yeah, she's classified as heavy. And I know in Mario Tennis, she's caught, I forget their terminology, but it's basically the equivalent to heavy. So she's always been considered a heavier class character. Yep. Um, it's nice to see that that still remains true. Now, 
I have only played, I think it's whatever the GameCube Mario Golf was. I forget which one that one was. Is it just, I don't actually know. But yeah, I've only ever played that one. And Toadstool I remember Toadstool Tour. Tour. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I remember liking it, but I remember not being good at it. How easy is like a new player going into this Mario Golf? Like, how would you say they the experience of a new player playing this game. But I, th- it's not like super technical golf. Like you can get par pretty easy. I mean, not like easy, but you won't get like way over par. And like the adventure mode really does teach you how to like do like what the spin is, like how to use backspin or how to use like the different kinds of spin you can use on the ball, which I don't usually mess with. Like, I feel like you don't have to play that way, but if you want to play that way, you can. It also does, it lets you tap in like a mode where like, if you're close enough to the hole, it'll just let you tap it in instead of like forcing you to do like super precise putting which is like oh. something that's frustrating in a lot of games i think it's if you're like within four feet of the thing it'll just let you like tap it in and which that is would nice still count as a stroke right it still counts as a stroke but like other games will make you like precisely yeah. do it yeah. where you're like and that and like putting is the hardest part of any of those kind of games and like it's it's a little bit more, I feel like it's, it might be a little bit more technical than World Tour was, but not, like, much. Like, I think that you could give kids or anything. And it's fun. Like, the worlds are all, there's only six worlds. And that's another thing people are bad about. They said that they are basically doing the, like, Splatoon route with this, where they're going to, like, give new courses and new characters as free DLC. And people are, like, mad about it. You get six full 18 whole courses and like yeah, I don't know I feel like that's a compromise that was probably made because of COVID like Nintendo keeps coming out and telling us every <laughs> every quarter that the thing that they're having a problem with is console production and game production COVID is really yep. hard for them in that and I think that we're starting now to see a lot of Nintendo delays like there's been no Animal Crossing updates since February and I think that we have gone through the things that they had like started to work on before the game had come out. And now we're in the area where like, if you look like November, they had a huge spike may they've had a huge spike. Like they've just continued to have spike after spike after spike of COVID in Japan. So like, I feel like we're getting the like trickle out DLC for this because it was either delay the game or put the game out with six courses. I like games where, where they're like, hey, there's something new. Do you want to go back and play this game that you paid 60 bucks for? Yeah, of course. Like, I it's always like nice. I, I know when Mario Tennis, that uh, yeah, Mario Tennis Aces came out, they had a similar like campaign mode that is similar to what Adventure Mode is. So I'm glad to see Nintendo still doing that. But when Aces came out, they Nintendo was doing a thing where they would release a new character every month. And the way that you unlocked this new character was just by playing one online match. You didn't have to win or anything, but it was a way to incentivize players to keep coming back every month to unlock the new character. I know I did that for like the first six months. And I think they had by the end, they had like 10 characters that they went through. I remember only getting like six of them, but I really liked that style because it definitely invited players to come back. So knowing that with Mario Golf, they're adding new characters and 
even new holes and everything like, oh, that is a great way to incentivize the community to keep returning every month or however often they want to release these updates. And that definitely will help with building this game up. I really wouldn't be surprised if Mario Golf doesn't have like a similar trajectory to Tennis Aces. Like Tennis Aces is like a super competitive online community yeah. for like they're crazy. Like don't if you haven't really played that game a whole lot, like don't go try to play a game like online with that group because they'll like wreck you nine times out of ten, right? Like they um have really like come into that. And I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see people getting super competitive with the super rush mode of this game, like as the like thing that people are really into. Cause it's just like an interesting way of golf and also the quality of life, like playing two player games with this is like really nice. You can either do it like a traditional golf game where like you go and then I go or I go and then you go and then like, or you can do it like all at once. Like I'm just playing my golf game, trying to get the lowest score. And the person you're playing against is just playing their golf game and trying to get their lowest score. And then that like takes out time of like going back and forth and doing that kind of stuff. I do like that. They have those different options for players to play how they want. I would be very interested to see, uh, you said that superstar mode was that time one, right? Super rush is the, yeah. Is the like time plus stroke mode. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'd the big interested. mode. It's what the, they, it's their big like thing. It's like, yeah, I would be very interested to see if the speed community picks up on that because I'm sure the like leaderboard for that will be updated like weekly, but like, I'm sure everyone wants to shave off as much time as they can and try to go for however many holes and ones or whatever the best optimal strategy is. So I'll be interested to see like if the speed community picks it up and if they do pick it up, like how, Far like or how quick can they get things done and like the longevity of a speedrun community for this game would be yeah i i think that like the speedrunning community might come into a problem because you can't cut through the countdown like every hole like they stopped it like every hole you get like a countdown to be like three two one go for your like thing so i don't know if they would like if it would be that, but it would be, I think there could be a part where like speedrunners might be interested in like competing against other speedrunners in the four by four, like version of that, where they could like go as fast as they could against each other. But yeah, it's fun. I'm very excited. There's a Mario golf game. There wasn't one for Wii U. So yeah, I, I remember they had like a Wii sports for Wii U. And one of the first things they showed was like playing golf and like, you can have the golf ball on the Wii U pad and with the Wiimote you can like swing off the pad it's like oh this is perfect for a Mario Golf game and the Mario Golf game just never came yeah you can use motion control in this I have not because I just don't do motion control ever for anything I'm not doing it for I like full disclosure I'm not doing it for Skyward Sword I've already played that game motion controlled and I'm not doing it again yeah, I don't play any of my game motion control. The only time I even attempted motion control was uh, Splatoon. And that's because to play competitively, you had to use motion controls. My partner plays Splatoon weird. motion controls. It's very strange. I don't like it. Yeah. I also don't like it, and I was bad at it, and I stopped playing, I stopped playing Splatoon. Yeah. I, I forgot one thing that I didn't play. Oh? It was an oh. experience that everyone needs to experience. It was Sonic's 30-year anniversary, and we didn't have a show last week. 
So I can get to speak about this last week. But last week, they, Sega did a Sonic Symphony where a whole orchestra played several melodies of Sonic the Hedgehog music. And then Crush 40 came out in the end and played a bunch of, you know, 3D Sonic game music, you know, Live and Learn, City Escape, all, all yes. the ones that every, all the ones people song. care about. And I'm a big Sonic fan. This was important to me. Back in the day, I would listen to orchestra or piano covers of Sonic music that I found on LimeWire. And this was like the culmination, <laughs> definitely. But the reason I bring it up is what the big thing that I noticed from this is that whimsical adventure music that is played in Japanese games has not developed much in 30 years. Because if I played for you the symphony music that was playing for those, those covers of those Sonic songs, which is the same, I mean, it's the same melody, it's the same music, just played in with like maybe more instruments. If I played it to you and didn't tell you it was Sonic and told you, oh, the new Kingdom Hearts game has uh, their soundtrack dropped early, you would just straight up believe me. Oh wow! It was like if oh the the next Tales game here's their new soundtrack you would believe me like any like open world JRPG that's what those look like now but like any game in that genre has music that sounds like exactly like Sonic the Hedgehog early days and it took me hearing the orchestra to hear it and it was a brain blast of Sonic is the best thing ever. (laughs) I mean I don't know if I'll agree with that. I do like Sonic music a lot, especially City Escape. Yeah, I mean, Such there have been song. there have been several bad Sonic games, less than people think, but several bad Sonic games. There are no Sonic games that have majority bad music. They all have good music. I will agree with that. I do like Sonic music a lot. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Yep. And I think that's going to do it for free play. Unless anyone has anything else they want to say real quick? No. Nope. All right. So... That is going to do it for the week 20 patch. Before we go, I want to give a quick shout out to everyone. Jordan, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash versified. By the time this comes out, I may be tweeting about a short documentary uh, that was made out from me last year about the experience of developing We Should Talk during a pandemic and during the George Floyd protests is the kind of focus and where my roots come from. So you may see that you might see that on my Twitter account by the time you hear this. And also, this is the Steam Summer Sale, so we should talk is thirty percent off. So buy it for four dollars and eighty three cents. Can't wait to check all of that out. And Spencer, what can people find you? You can find me all over the internet at Miss Nintendeek sixty four. That's it. I'm streaming this month. I promise my. One year anniversary of streaming will be in August. So I'm trying to make sure I stream all my streams this month to lead up to it. Awesome. Happy early anniversary. And you can find me on any platform at Zagger1337. That's Zagger with an X as an X because you know what an X is. That's fine. It's all good. This is going to do it for the week 20 patch rollout. Subscribe to future patches on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Follow The Weekly Patch at The Weekly Patch on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, or join the QA process in our Discord server. Comments, questions, or reports? Send them to us at hello at theweeklypatch.com. Links to all of these and more in the episode patch notes below. Week 20 patch complete.
Para pa pa pa. Para pa pa pa.